Richard Brown is a former adjunct professor at Gallatin College and researcher into the life and work of Bozeman architect Fred Wilson. Love me some Wilson. I'm excited about that. His work has been featured in the Bozeman Daily Chronicle, the History Channel, Montana State University, and the Gallatin History Museum. He is currently at work on a full-length book on Wilson, long overdue. I'm so excited to read it. Um, titled The Life and Times of Bozeman Architect Fred F. Wilson. So we'll look forward to that. And I believe today you're going to be talking about Fred Wilson and Yellowstone. It's great. Okay, thank you very much for being here. Thank Paul for his presentation. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be talking about National Park Service Rustic Architecture, also, also called Park Architecture, and Fred F. Wilson, who is a, a Bozeman architect. <clears throat> In 1976, the historical architect Merrill Ann Wilson, the National Park Service Rustic Architecture, said that this was possibly the first time in American architecture where a, a building became an accessory of nature. This is a list of the, the parks before the National Park Service came into being. Yellowstone, of course, being the top, in 1886, the Army came in and, and ran Yellowstone Park the best they could. Take notice that Grand Canyon is 1919 when it became a park, but it was also considered a National Forest Reserve before it became a park. This, as you've probably heard and heard again so far, is Cinnabar. This is, this is as far as the train got in 1884 till 1903. This is right near Devil Slide is right here. You're seven miles away from what is now Gardner. At the same time, buildings, a lot of hodgepodge buildings are being built in the park. This replaced the uh, Norris Hotel, which was called, no, excuse me, it was the, the lower geyser basin, excuse me, upper geyser basin hotel. And it was called the Hotel Shack. This gives you an idea of the, the sort of buildings that were taking place. The, the part of an interior could specify, if you wanted to build a building somewhere, you had to build it here, you had to do a few things, but there was no enforcement of that. So you could build wherever you want. You could do pretty much whatever you want. This would eventually be replaced by the uh, Old Faithful Inn. This building here is a mail carrier's cabin. If you've ever been taking the, the road up from uh, Gardner up to Mammoth, just as you get to the top of the hill and turn onto the split highway going into Mammoth, if you look to your left, this building is still standing. And I'm showing this because this is whatever people wanted is what they built. The mail carrier would pick up mail in at, at Cinnabar, come up to Mammoth and go all the way to Cook City. So he lived there. So this is this is what was taking place in the park before the National <coughs> Park Service. This is Gardner 1903. The interesting thing about this is this building and this building, the train station, ex ex the train extended to Gardner in 1903 and these two buildings were designed Robert by Robert Reamer. Uh, you'll hear a little bit more about him later. <coughs> this building still exists this is the W.A. Hall store. 
It was kind of a general store. They had a post office in there. They sold drugs. It's still there. This building is unfortunately gone. The National Parks archives sit here, and the Gardner High School sits here. The arch was the brainchild of Hiram Chittenden, who was with the Army Corps of Engineers. But no, I've never been able to find who designed it. Some people say Robert Reamer designed it. Some people say Nels Ness designed it. So that's up in the air. Of course, these two buildings still exist. Other parts of the, in other parks in the United States, there are buildings being built also. This is the Lacanti Memorial Lodge in, in uh, Yosemite. Oops, excuse me. And it was the original visitors center in Yosemite. And it was designed by John White, an architect out of Berkeley. And it's, it's unique because this is granite, and he was building with the existing materials in that park. So it's kind of setting the scene for what would happen in park architecture. This is the Hopi House on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Once again, we, I'm talking mostly about Yellowstone Park, but there were other parks, this was not quite a park yet, that they were building buildings at the same time. And this building is reflecting the environment, which is a really important thing to, to note. It was built as a gift shop for Native Americans and by uh, Marianne Coulter. So 1905 there. So at the time, we were in a transition between Queen Anne or Victorian architecture and craftsmen and uh, bungalow architecture. So we're right about here right now. I don't know if people are aware of how well painted these Victorian homes were, but they're actually pretty interesting. But they were really frilly and this is really simple. So there's a real change taking place at the time. So where did park architecture come from? Well, it really came from the Norwegian or Swiss chalets. They both are in the same environment. Yellowstone Park is in, a, is, is in a really similar environment. So how did these chalets get to this country? This is the Great Camp, Camp Sagamore, uh, designed by William West Durant for the uh, Vanderbilt family. And, the, and the, the rich people in the Northeast would go to, to Europe and they'd see something there they liked and they wanted to have a, a, a summer cabin or a getaway cabin in the Adirondack Mountains. And this is where that came from. This is almost just an enlarged view of what we saw in the previous slide. And it was said of William West Durant that every rustic hotel and every log cabin in Colorado owes a nod to William West Durant. So that was on the East Coast. On the West Coast that's taking place is Bernard Maybach was a, a UC Berkeley professor of architecture and he designed in 1905 the Glen Alpine Springs Resort. And if you've never been there, I, th I think it survived all these fires but it's in the southwest corner of Lake Tahoe, off of Fallen Leaf Lake. And as you hike into the Desolation Wilderness, you'll run into this thing. And he, he designed using, quote, natural materials well utilized. 
And also on the West Coast, the Green and Green Architect brothers, Charles and Henry Green, had moved from the Midwest, and as they came out to Pasadena, uh, they stopped at Columbian Exposition, and they were taken by the Japanese architecture. And they brought that with them to the West Coast, and at the time, there was a, there was a, a, a major look across the Pacific to the Japanese architecture. So they started developing architecture that, that embodied Swiss and uh, Swiss art chalets, and also Japanese buildings, and uh, the La Conte Lodge, and Maybach. So they're combining these things on the way to developing the ultimate bungalow. And if you ever get to Pasadena, if it does interest you at all, this is the Gamble House of Procter & Gamble fame. This is now an open museum. You can go through it. It is a fabulous tour. But this is exactly where they were headed with their ultimate bungalow. So enter Harry Child and Robert Reamer. Harry Child was born in San Francisco in 1857, made a pile of money in the stock market, moved to, moved to Montana in the late 1880s, got interested in, in the Yellowstone Park Association, and eventually bought half its stock. He got interested with two other people. One died and he bought the other one out. <clears throat> a lot of wealthy people that in those years would winter in Los Angeles. If you, if you, if you couldn't afford it, you're just still stuck with Montana winter, I guess. <clears throat> so uh, one of his times wintering at the uh, Del Coronado Hotel, he met Robert Reamer. Robert Reamer was a 28-year-old man at the time. He's working as the, the lead architect at the Coronado Hotel. And he was designing a lot of the details here. It was a Coronado Beach Company. So there was a golf course involved and all kinds of other accessory buildings. And he was designing these and he impressed uh, Harry Child to the point where Harry said, I'm building this, I'm thinking about building this this uh, tavern, the Old Faithful Tavern in, in the Upper Geyser Basin, would you like to come work for me? And uh, Robert Reamer didn't give his two-week notice, he didn't give his one-week notice, he didn't give any notice, he just disappeared. <laughs> and supposedly on the way up, on the train, he started doing the preliminary sketches of the uh, Old Faithful Inn. This is a picture of the construction of the Old Faithful Inn. It started in 1903. And they were able to uh, enclose it, dry it in that, that winter. And 90 men worked throughout the winter on this and the Lake Hotel to, to finish them off. And by 1904, of course, we had the Old Faithful Inn. This is before the port Duchere was added later. So the buses come underneath here. So this has been enclosed. So this is a, an earlier shot of the Old Faithful Inn. And the inside of the Old Faithful Inn, it's 160 feet from here to the ceiling. Amazing building. It took uh, 5,000 logs. They were hauling logs from 1902 on to build this place. It took a lot of individual craftsmanship here. And when it opened, a, a, a particular critique was in the newspaper. It said, it looks as if Robert Reamer was coming, quote, shakily out of a, a, 
monumental immersion in malt. <laughs> Hence the, the details here. But it's also said about it that it was a, a rough product of the forest, and it became, of course, the benchmark to National Park Service rustic architecture or parkitecture. This is another garage he built, uh, Harry, Child, Harry Child's garage built near Mammoth. Uh, it's no longer there. And you can start seeing the details that would become National Park architecture here. This is still 1910, still, still a little bit early. So in 1915, cars were admitted to the park. How many times have you heard that since you came to this? <laughs> yeah, half my fire and lightnings were taken even before I started. <laughs> so you could park anywhere along the way. You could park here. These people park there. Gonna, they set up their wall tent. They're going to fish. They're going to potty in the, in, the, in the lake. And they're going to go on. So at the time, they, they set up wall tent camps. And this is a transition because before, as has been said, the hotels were for the wealthy. They get off a train, they'd be delivered to, deliver to a hotel, there'd be all kinds of great stuff. And suddenly we've got uh, normal people coming to the park. So they needed somewhere to stay. In, in 1918, or 1916, the Park Service came into being. And I haven't seen, and may, maybe someone can help you out, it wasn't until 1918 that the army left the park. And I've looked it up and I couldn't find anything. There's some sort of controversy that took place and that's all I can think of. So this is one of the last parades in the park. You can see that the old hotel is behind there. The interesting thing about this shot is this soldier right here is Jonathan M. Wainwright. And if you know your World War II history, he was left behind in the Bataan Peninsula when MacArthur was evacuated to uh, um, Australia and he surrendered the U.S. troops to the Japanese and spent his entire war in a Japanese prison camp. So in 1918, the Park Service finally took over Yellowstone and the uniforms that they wear are very similar to dress uniforms of World War I soldiers, which is picked up and <coughs> reused. Charles Punchard became the first landscape architect of the, in the Park Service. The Park Service was located at the time in uh, San Francisco. It's, it's now in Washington, D.C. Uh, unfortunately, he was there from 1918 to 1920. He, he spent uh, three months traveling around the park just looking at concessionaire buildings. And he died of, of tuberculosis in 1920. And his assistant, Daniel Hall, took over from 1920 to 1927. And Daniel Hall was really instrumental in creating the National Park rustic architecture. And he, he uh, decided that he, he was going to be the, the decider to um, where, where buildings weren't going to be put what they would look like. Keep in mind this is for all the parks. He was the National Park architect for all the parks. So he was, he was still very interested in the, the individuality of the different parks. But he thought they should all come from local materials and reflect the local environment. 
And this is Lake Ranger Station, which is still there, overlooking the lake. Kind of a plain Jane building, but this is one of his earlier drawings, or earlier uh, structures. Enter Fred Wilson. Fred Wilson was born in 1877 in Bozeman, Montana Territory. Uh, to put it in perspective, one month after Chief Joseph surrendered at, at the, uh, in the Bears Paw Mountains, he went through high school in uh, Bozeman, went to Columbia, came back, worked briefly in Helena, <coughs> took off, went to Europe. The story is he went to Beaux-Arts and studied for two years. Well, that isn't quite right. He was in Europe 16 months, and he probably spent a month or two in Paris, but his father was pretty wealthy, so he had access to his American Express account, and he would travel all around and come back and do a, a, an art class at Beaux-Arts, and go down to Italy and come back around. So he, had a, he was learning uh, classical architecture at the time. His first job in the park was Lake Lodge. Now that was a that was a uh, a new development because, like I said earlier, there was a Lake Hotel, there was the Old Faithful Inn, and that was for the those two those two facilities were for the wealthy people. Well, they needed something to some facility for the people driving into the car, driving their car into the park. And so they came up with this concept where they built a lodge, this still exists, just a mile, just a half mile northeast of the Lake Hotel. And this lodge would be a meeting place for people, and they would be, this is another shot looking the other direction, and the people would rent these little cabins, these little tent cabins, and they'd come in here for, for, for lunches, for eating, for entertainment, and alike. So Fred designed that. And he also designed the tent cabins. I think these are really cute. It's wood up to here. It's off the off the ground, and it's canvas that's been framed here. And you look along that this side here. This is a, a two-room cabin. By virtue of the fact that there's a a canvas partition, you could pull right up the center. So get, everybody has the same facilities on either side. This is the Lake Lodge uh, lobby at the time, still there. He also designed the Mammoth Lodge and the Canyon Lodge. These are the, the dates. Uh, the Mammoth Lodge was uh, torn down in 1949. The Canyon Lodge lasted until about 1955. It was abandoned as, as uh, newer uh, facilities were being built and, and burned down in 1957, so these are, neither one is there anymore. And this is the, obviously the Old Faithful Lodge. Fred loved coming to the park. In the early days, he'd take a train, he'd take a car over to Yellow, to uh, Livingston, he'd take a train down and take a train back. Other times, as, as time went on, cars got better, um, he would drive down and back. And it was usually through, uh, through Gardner. Uh, he said in his diaries, he had his weekly flat tire. He always had a flat tire. One time he was coming home from, from uh, 
the north entrance. He got to Livingston and he headed over the pass and his headlights went out. So he drove the red, this is in the 20s. He drove up over the rough road and down the other side without any headlights. Oh, Another time, he was, this is non-related to, to this, but related to the conditions at the time. He had a job out at, out at uh, Anthony. He was designing a town of Anthony, west of Bozeman. And he had seven flat tires coming home. Oh, no. In those days, you jack it up, you take the, take the screws off the split rim, take the split rim off, you pull off the, the tire in the inner tube, you fix the inner tube, you put it back in there, you put the split rim back together, you pump it up, and then you take off again, and you go another flat. <laughs> this is the old faithful lodge. He did this, as you can see, in 1924. It sits just east of Old Faithful, and you, on a bad day, on an inclement day, you can sit inside there and, and enjoy that. And adjacent to the Old Faithful Lodge is the Old Faithful Recreation Building. And it doesn't look like much from the outside, and as time went on, Fred was getting more and more administrative type buildings. But if you go inside, it's really quite interesting. It's made for a recreation center, for the park employees. And then he got to design guest cabins, all, all kinds, shapes and sizes, and <clears throat> comfort stations. And they were used all over the park. So he might design a guest cabin A, B, C, and D, and they might be used here, there, here, there. So he got down, he was working his way kind of down to completely administrative work. And he still believed in the philosophy that architecture is primarily public service. So he poured himself to every, into every single job he had, no matter how mundane it may seem. So he was not getting plum jobs like the Madison Junction Museum. This is by Herbert Mayer, and, and uh, Herbert Mayer was, I believe, lived in San Francisco. The Park Service is based in San Francisco. The closer you are to the purse strings, the better things are. So he was, Herbert Mayer is getting beautiful buildings like this. So in 1928, Fred escaped the park. He didn't really escape the park. He got jobs outside the park. And he could start expressing himself. He wasn't constrained anymore. So he designed the Eagle Store. This is designed in three parts. It's recently been sold. Um, but the most important part is this right here because it's a malt shop. And if you've never been there, this counter is 1930s. This here, the back bar, if you're going to call it that, is from 1910 Eagle Store. And if you, and they, and they still grind their malts just like they should. So if you're ever there, and I, I don't know if it's, it's been purchased, I don't know what's going to happen to it at this point. They're not using that fountain much anymore. Aren't they? Uh, That's in the Eagle store on the corner of You know, you come in on Highway 191, you take that hard right, or hard left, into the park, and it's right there. And now it has a, it had a more modern, uh, this, is, this is gone, but it had a more modern canopy over here. So this direction is Bozeman, come around this, and that direction is into the park. And he designed this, he was so excited about the, about the design and designing something outside 
the part. He designed this for free. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, Fred wasn't much of a businessman, so he he was always had quote friendly, frenzied finances. And direct, oops, directly across the street was the Stewart store. That's a fabulous building. It looks it looks like a miniature Old Faithful Inn. And it stayed there until 1955. Unfortunately, a fire burned it. Then, they, then a, a regular generic gas station went in there, and now there's a curio shop of some sort on that corner. But that was, to me, that was a, a real loss. <clears throat> At the same time, to give you just a, we're not gonna get too deep into Fred outside the park architecture, but I just wanted to show you the, the breadth of his work. He did the Ellen Theater in 1919. At the same time, he did the Lake Lodge. So he would go from one design to another design, completely different. He did the Baxter Hotel this, about the same year he did the, the uh, Eagles store. Um, in those days, you had to. In those days, you could not have, a, become a, have your own signature like, like Frank Lloyd Wright, for instance, did later on. Either you, you design a house, or you wanted a house like Frank Lloyd Wright, or you, you're out the door. Frank believed, or Fred believed that it was just a service. So whatever you wanted, he would try to provide. Everything ended, of course, during World War II. The, the, the park had no money. Uh, things were falling apart. And after World War II, um, Modernism came into being. And this is from 1945 to about 1966. It's considered now mid-century modern. And I'm sure there are enough architects in here that will correct me on everything I say. <laughs> so you can leave. <laughs> so it was typified with blue lamb beams, laminated wood beams, large spaces because the huge number of people were just descending on the park at the time and they had to accommodate them and these buildings like the old faithful inn took craftsmen to make to fit every little piece a lot of this could be made off-site wall panels windows could be made off-site so it made for large spaces geometric shapes were there before they were organic shapes now it's kind of got a geometric shape this is the Lake Lodge in 1956. It's been recently renovated. Ken. I'm sorry, Ken. Thank you. So Fred was kind of left out of the modern, mid-century modern. He was a classical architect. He loved the classics. He could, he could draw from the classics. At one point, there was a, a new architect moved into town named Ozzie Bird, and he designed a fraternity house across the street from Montana State. Well, Fred and his wife and his daughter came up to, to, to see the place, and he said in his diary, he stayed out on the sidewalk because he didn't want to go in and have somebody ask him what they thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> he tried his best. And his final opus was Soldier's Chapel, 1955. <clears throat> I think this is one of the most perfect buildings ever. Uh, if you've never been there, you've missed out on, on life. 
And behind the altar, there's a big picture window that gives you a beautiful view of, of uh, Lone Mountain. At the time he designed this, this was originally called West Fork Chapel because this is west, west Fork of the Gallatin River. And this is pretty much the Crail Ranch behind here. There's nothing else back there. So one year after that, Fred died in 1956, August 1956. And he had done 175 jobs in Yellowstone Park at that time. And that's just Yellowstone Park alone. And so I'm under my five minutes. You've got two minutes and 25 well, seconds. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs>